1: I found these people in the church were saying that our God in the Bible is personal. He reveals himself and we can have personal relationship with our God. And that was amazing. That was really delicious, philosophically speaking to me. For the first time, I'm hearing that and it made sense. Not only it made sense, it was yummy to me. It was delicious to me, really. G'day, I'm
0: Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, Dr. Daniel Shoyesta was a teacher of Islamic philosophy and a member of the Iranian Revolutionary Army in the 1970s. However, after falling out of favor with Khomeini's political group in Iran, he escaped to Turkey, where he began his journey to faith in Christ. We'll hear his amazing story today as he has a chat
2: with Eric Scadabo. Dr. Daniel Shoyesta, welcome to the program.
1: It's wonderful to be with you. Thank you so much.
2: Glad to have you with us today. And let's go back to growing up in Iran. What was it like growing up in Iran?
1: Yeah, um, in that time was the time of Shah. I was born in a Muslim family. My father and uh, my mother, they were Muslim. My father had actually two wives and uh, hmm. 12 children. They were all living together. And from childhood... My parents, uh, you know, invested in my life to memorize the Quran and to learn Islamic rituals. This is just something normal among Muslim families, and every yeah. family wants really one of the child to be good in religious area. So I was one of them. You know, uh, grew very, very rapidly and became a famous boy at the age of nine, and people called me to their different religious ceremonies. So I performed the Islamic rituals and recited the Quran for them um oh wow at such a young
2: age you were called on to perform rituals
1: exactly yeah especially in shia you know shiaism Mm -hmm. it's very strong rituals are very strong morning rituals and whole lot of they have got whole lot of ceremonies you know Uh, even children are involved in that so if you're good you know then they invite you to do that actually they pay money to you too you know
2: oh wow so how did you feel about that
1: um, I was I was very glad, you know, very excited that I was a religious boy. Many people were happy, you know. And Islam is, um, you know, it's just like a Pharisaic religion, you know. Whatever you do superficially, you know, apparently you just gain value for that, you know. It's, um, so I was excited that people were talking about me, you know. and So that, that helped me to grow in that.
2: So it was giving you some affirmation.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and also, you know, uh, those encouragements were encouraging you to stick strongly to Islam and mm-hmm. uh, to follow the principle of Islam. One of them is just uh, Islam teaches you that uh, should be the only religion in the world, and Muslims, you know, uh, have to try their best and uh, to make it happen. Uh, it's an it's a religious obligation actually. If you do not. Get involved in that, which is called jihad. Mm-hmm. You're called an infidel, actually, according to the Quran And uh, so you're putting your life in danger by being called infidel. So you have to try your best not to be called infidel. Oh, wow. And so I, I learned that from childhood. But after I entered university, I became a radical Muslim, followed Ayatollah Khomeini, and under his leadership, you know, forced the king of Iran. He escaped from the country, so country fell into our hands. Because I was one of the famous boys, initially I was invited with two others to start the revolutionary army in Iran.
2: Can we go back a little bit? How did you go from doing these rituals as a child to eventually becoming a teacher of Islamic philosophy?
1: Um, I was also very much interested in mystic philosophy. You you know, power three and mystic philosophy in Iran is very strong, you know. It's uh, it's not purely Islam, but it's just woven into the cultural, you know, uh, Iranian culture. And so, uh, if if you're involved in you know mystic belief, then you are interested in knowing philosophy about God. So Mm. uh, that was the philosophy about God, and also Russia, being you know our uh, northern neighbor, always acting as a threat to Iran to change the religion and make Iran communism. So. Uh, very much, I was uh, my teaching and learning was uh, oriented in that direction, you know, comparing the religious philosophy with uh, materialistic philosophy. Mm-hmm. So, I was, uh, you know, that, that caused me to uh, be interested in philosophy. Uh, and also, my interest, as I mentioned, was uh, very strongly in Iranian poetry. Actually, I have got, I'm a poet myself, you know, oh, I have right? four books. Uh, Two books in Farsi and two books in uh, Azerbaijani language, you know, Iranian Turkish language.
2: Okay, so now in the 1970s, the Shah was in power, Mm -hmm. and so it was kind of a secular country in Iran, or what was the political situation then?
1: Yeah, it it was secular, but it was not a Western secularism. I mean, it, Western secularism is impossible to be um, established in Islamic countries. I mean, they just adopt some Western culture. Shah was interested in Western culture, but he's still calling him, himself a committed Muslim, even though he was not a committed Muslim, mm. just he wanted really to... Align himself a little bit superficially with Islamic, you know, uh, requests in in order to make clergies happy because clergies mm-hmm. are very strong; they have a strong religious power.
2: So you have to keep them happy.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's they eventually, you know, they they know that really you cannot make clergies happy. You have to be purely radical Muslim in order to make them happy. But. Uh, In other other words, to make people happy, because Mm -hmm. if you have got many people behind you, then clergy do not have power to overthrow you. Hmm.
2: And so you became involved in a group called the Iranian Revolutionary Army that was against the Shah. The secular against leader.
1: the Shah, that, that my goal, I mean, like many other young boys and girls in Iran, especially university students, really w- was a little bit different to Ayatollah's. Ayatollah was against the king of Iran because he accepted Israel as a country, and that's the dire, dire hostility in Islam. You know, you're infidel, hmm. and also Shah was a westernized guy, and that's also it's not accepted in Mm -hmm. Islam, but our difficulty was different. Our problem was social and political injustice in Iran. You see, I was a bright student, but unable to continue my study because of a financial problem. My family didn't have really uh, that, uh, you know, uh, economic power to help me, and it it forced me. One day, I slept under a bridge. You know, I didn't have money to pay uh, my rent. And so that made me angry at the ruling king because Iran is a wealthy country sitting on oil bases. And uh, I was a sharp student, was unable to continue. So that caused me and other students, you know, to be against the king. And unfortunately, in Islamic culture, no matter what kind of ideological motivation you have, you all... Enemies of a major enemy unite with each other. Even ideologically, they are not together. So we joined Ayatollah, and gradually he became our, you know, leader, and we aligned ourselves with his desire. But actually, his words were all to encourage us. Like Islam supports democracy, and we will have democracy inside the country, and people would benefit from the oil money. That was his messages. Though later he changed and the attention started to gain us. So, so basically he deceived you. Absolutely deceived us. And we were never thinking that he would deceive us. But Islam is a funny religion. If you're the most righteous religion, you still can deceive the less righteous ones. So that's allowed somehow. Yeah,
2: exactly. Wow. So he deceived uh, the people who were disaffected, people like yourself, so he could get yes. them to all follow him, his leadership, to overthrow the Shah. And it was successful in 1979.
1: Yes, yes. I mean, he became, um, we all stood behind him, and he won that. But after that, then, then, I mean, they just clearly said they lied for the sake of Allah and Islam, you know, uh, Uh, precious Allah you know has asked us in that situation you have to lie wow so the Shah was
2: overthrown by the Ayatollah Khomeini and his followers so he then came to power and as you said his Mm -hmm. ruling was different than what he said it was going to be and then you personally fell out of favor with Khomeini's political group is that right what happened
1: yeah I mean we we, we were you know we were gradually convinced that uh, yeah Islamic and sharia is is the best but gradually we discovered you know we we trusted him for that because he promised that you know democracy is part of sharia you know caring for your people is part of that but after mm-hmm. that he didn't care for his people all his care was to destroy israel to capture israel as soon as possible and send almost the entire money of the country to Syria and to Palestinian and to the later established Hezbollah Mm. and forgot his own nation and people became poorer and poorer. And also I mentioned he passed the resolution in the, you know, parliament for absolute uh, leadership. In other words, nobody has rights to uh, criticize him. And they Mm. all were in, in against what he promised before the revolution. So that... Disappointed, many young people like me, and so we changed our way. I mean, there were some other leaders. For example, the first president uh, was leading that direction, so I joined him, and many others, and uh, we won the government, and he became the president. But Ayatollah, according to Islamic law, the supreme, you know, clergy is the, you know, chief commander of our army. You know, just naturally, that's Islamic law. So he was the. Uh, chief commander of the revolutionary army and uh, he was not pleasant uh, you know from the result of the election and he attacked the government wanted to kill the president the president escaped, and the government was demolished some were killed some escaped i was one of them caught and put in a cell waiting on death row and then i was i got my death sentence and uh, removed to another cell Uh, With four others, five were waiting on death row, and four were killed. But I was able to escape by the help of some uh, older friend who were in a higher position. They played some game, you know. Wow. I was released temporarily. I was able to escape to Turkey.
0: You're listening to the story. Today, Eric Scatabo is chatting with Dr. Daniel Shoyester, who was a teacher of Islamic philosophy and a leading Muslim fundamentalist in Iran in the 1970s. As we just heard, he was forced to flee Turkey after falling out of favour with Ayatollah Khomeini's political group in Iran. We'll find out the remarkable way that Jesus enters his life when we return. We're continuing with Eric Scadabo chatting with Dr. Daniel Shawyester, who was a teacher of Islamic philosophy and a leading Muslim fundamentalist in Iran in the 1970s. However, as we heard before the break, he was forced to flee to Turkey. Now, we'll hear what happened next in his life.
1: Turkey hasn't been a secure place for fugitive Iranian politicians. Or a lot of you know, terrorists in Turkey... So I, I managed really to protect myself, you know, as much as I could. I stayed away from Iranians. Didn't know who was terrorist and was not. Mm. Um, but Turkish is my mother language. I knew Turkish from childhood. Oh, I started right? to learn the writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, writing is different. And then entered the university to do my doctorate. There I was amazed. My ma- the major on my doctorate is about cultures, religions, and philosophies, philosophical beliefs like. You know, uh, socialism, you know, humanism, Mm, New Age and other world's major religions, Hinduism, Mm -hmm. Islam, Taoism, Buddhism, Christianity, Mm -hmm. just to compare them in a business way, you know, to see in what way they shape their attitudes out their people, you know, uh, what kind of leadership they have, their work ethics, you know, their organizational and family culture. So, this was my investigation to write my thesis for the university. And, um, you know, there I was amazed. I I was never thinking really to find good things for Christianity because always we were brainwashed that Islam was the perfect religion. Yeah. And Christianity was actually the worst religion because they committed Muslim always blame the Western mm. Christianity for the Western immorality and they call mm. Christianity is the worst religion, but to my shock and surprise, I found that Christianity in everything was amazing and superior and, uh, you know, logical too, you know. The major thing actually I found was uh, that uh, individual freedom is sacred in Christianity Mm -hmm. and uh, as well as uh, you know, uh, fragile, you know, it's Mm -hmm. If the leadership is not humble, then you cannot protect that fragile individual right. Mm-hmm. And therefore, Christianity's leadership is a modest and humble leadership. Mm-hmm. And uh, even understanding that leader can watch the followers of his followers or in business language delegates. Oh yeah, watch feet. yeah. And that was amazing to me, really. Yeah. Um, that, you know, business wise, you know, economically or uh, socially and politically spoke to me that, you know, if leader is not modest and then people cannot be creative because only modest and humble leadership people are allowed to express their views. And then when you express your views, views come and cross each other and then you can find the best one and follow the best one and that makes you creative. And that <laughs> was the reason that Western leadership allowed Western people to be creative and prosper in every way, in every way really. And it's, I was amazed. And I was shocked that For 30 years, for over 30 years, I was taught that Islam was the best and perfect religion, and I discovered here Islam actually was the least of all religions and oh, even wow. paganism socially speaking is better than islam because paganism at least calls you a god socially speaking that gives you a little bit more autonomy when a religion calls you animal islam calls you animal you know there is a phrase in islam it's, it says al-abam kal anam that means all humanity are animal especially when it comes to decision making because mm. you don't need to deci- make a decision your prophet has already made decision for you and so you're just a tool. You're a remote control, and a remote control is not creative. You it doesn't have any autonomy. and uh, And so that's why Islamic countries are not creative. And if you go to all Western countries, they are creative. People have invented everything for everything.
2: Wow, that's very interesting. I had never heard that before. So let's go back to what was happening inside of you. Obviously, you first were against the Shah because – You were poor and destitute and couldn't afford your schooling anymore, so then you aligned yourself with the Ayatollah Khomeini, but then he turned out to be somewhat of a fake and broke his promises. So you were pretty destitute at this point when you finally went to Turkey. Is that right?
1: Yes. Uh, disillusioned with Islam, Mm -hmm. um, with Islamic political philosophy. I mean, Islam is a political religion. Moral Islam is political. Mm-hmm. But still I I believed in God and I thought possibly uh, in the future I would find uh, good things about Islam and like many muslims say and some westerners also say that Islam was hijacked by this terrorists you know something I was thinking Islam was hijacked by Iranian government mm-hmm. or other yeah. islamic government yep. didn't know really the real Islam I, I was disillusioned more with islamic politics uh, in that time still calling myself muslim
2: but then how did god finally get a hold of your heart
1: something personal happened to me i, I was a business i was a partner to a b- iranian businessman in turkey mm-hmm. he was a muslim He had a small business there i became his partner put my money with his make the capital larger to make more money mm-hmm. but he took my money and he escaped to germany you know uh, oh wow yeah, I couldn't chase him legally because company was under his name. I couldn't prove that money was mine. And then I tried to find a friendly way to approach him. I didn't know any friend that was in Turkey. But one day I remembered that a Christian group was coming to him sometimes. And uh, so I decided to go to their church thinking maybe they would, give me, would be able to give me some ideas about him. Hmm. So that was the first time in my life I went was going to a church and it was not for Christ. It was for (laughs) my money. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But they offered their help to me to find him. They became so sad. They never expected him to do that to me because they had done a lot of things to him and they expected him to be nice like them yeah and uh, so they offered their help to me to find him in germany so that caused me to be in contact with them and eventually go to their church and get news from them because there was not any phone or cell phone in that time i didn't have even a phone myself a landline so i had to go to their church and get news from them that caused me to go to their church and hear their message (laughs) And I heard fascinating things about God from them. As I mentioned to you, I was teaching philosophy in Iran, just God philosophy. I never knew that God philosophy in the Bible is different to all other religions' philosophy. They were teaching that God in the Bible is the personal God, whereas in all other religions, mm. in Islam, gods never reveal themselves since simply because they do not have personality to reveal themselves. Mm. The prophet of Islam never heard his God, never saw his God, because he doesn't have personality to reveal himself. And it's a Greek philosophy all other religions have borrowed, but I found these people in the church were saying that our God in the Bible is personal. He reveals himself, and we can have personal relationship with with our God. And wow. that was amazing. That was really delicious, philosophically speaking to me. It very yummy. It really worked in my mind and heart. Yeah, yeah, God must be personal because only personal God can have image. You cannot say impersonal God or non-person God can have personal image or personal brain. You cannot talk that in a, in a philosophical way. Mm-hmm. And I, it made sense to me that my creator must be personal in order to have image in, and in order to be able to create me in his own image. So it, that philosophy I had never heard for the first time, I'm hearing that, and it made sense. Not only it made sense; it was yummy to me. It was delicious to me, really.
2: <laughs> I've never heard that and before. And it s- was yummy to me.
1: <laughs> yeah, and honestly, I I was just I was just so excited to hear such a you know um, philosophy that makes sense <laughs> to you logically. So, yeah.
2: but it was more than just a philosophy. It was personal, a personal relationship.
1: Amazing. This is the amazing difference between the God of the Bible and all other religions. Mm-hmm. God is personal. You can have yep. personally mm-hmm. listen to his voice. And a personal God can only say, I love you. A personal God can say, "I can my only begotten Son give Him for you," because impersonal God is not functional. If God is not functional, it's not relational. Then the word of love doesn't make sense there. You see how Bible is yummy? All of them is coming <laughs> together very well. Wow, that's, that's so powerful.
2: That's fantastic. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. But then you go on to become a Christian, and then you also go on to become a Christian evangelist and start your own ministry. Briefly share with us about that.
1: I mean, you know, I, I read the gospel two times, and after that, I said I have to give my heart to Jesus. And then, you know, I, 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 Jesus logically approached me, and it just really opened my mind and heart in every way. You know, I, I realized if you fall in love with someone, you love that person one hundred percent. Actually. Less than one hundred doesn't make sense in in love. You cannot say to your beloved, my dear wife or my dear husband, I, I, I love you eighty five percent. That doesn't make sense. You right, know, right. love always necessitates, you know, uh, complete commitment, one hundred percent. Mm-hmm. So. The logic was, if Jesus loves me and I love him, that should be 100%. Yep. What does that mean? That means I have to express that love to others. You know, mm-hmm. We do. I mean, we if we have a beloved one in our life, we speak about that beloved one to other people. And it's the same for Jesus. And so that was the logic really touched my heart and mind. And uh, that logic different meaning is this as jesus said take your cross and follow me in other words you need to love me 100% mm-hmm. as i yep. love you 100% and so that logic told me look i need to speak about my beloved one to other people mm-hmm. and god had already given me tool you know i'm i know a lot of things about other religions and philosophies and uh, You know, I know Islam, I know that culture, so I can approach these people and, uh, you know, challenge their consciences, raise their consciences, you know, to listen and to compare and choose the best. And that's Mm. what I'm doing, you know, as an apologist and evangelist you know, trying to reach out to every person in the world, West, you know, East, and Islamic countries, non-Islamic countries, just to reveal that Christ is the only solution for every way of life. spirituality, and as I mentioned, politically and socially, he's, he's the, you know, only answer, the best answer.
2: Wow. Boy, you have been on quite a spiritual journey. Thank you so much for sharing your
1: story with us today. It's a pleasure, thank you so much for the opportunity.
0: Wow, what an incredible story. I have to admit, as Eric mentioned, I have never heard someone who discovers Christ and Christianity describe it as yummy and delicious. But as we heard, that is exactly how Dr. Daniel Shoyesta reacted when he first learnt about Jesus and his teachings. And of course, the Bible says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. So it's quite understandable that someone would describe finding Christ as yummy. Well, if you'd like to learn more about Dr. Daniel Shuyesta and his journey from Islamic fundamentalist to Christian evangelist, his ministry's website is exodusfromdarkness.org. That's exodusfromdarkness.org. Well, thanks for joining us for Daniel's incredible story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story.
2: I had been invited to this house. I met the pastor. And, oh, how interesting is it when you don't know Jesus and you're not a Christian, you see somebody that has the love of God in their hearts and the life of God in their soul. And it seems so different that you try to figure it out and that's what I did.
0: Melody was born in Brisbane and grew up in Taiwan where her parents were involved in a New Age-like cult. We'll hear her journey to freedom next time. The The Story. Just another way vision is connecting
2: faith to life.